I think we all fool ourselves a little bit into thinking that we just need to be plugged into these things for work or for, you know, what if someone's hurt and they need me, I need to have my phone on. Um, people did just fine for a long time without smartphones. And like, I think um, even for my work, I'm a tech reporter, yeah, but like, do I really need to be that aware of all of the latest news? No, I don't. But like, I really don't need to be plugged into Twitter as much as I am or plugged into, um, you know, reading tech meme or whatever as much as I do. It, and so at a certain point, you have to like be honest with yourself about what you actually need. Welcome to How I Work, a show about the tactics used by leading innovators to get so much out of their day. I'm your host, Dr. Amantha Imba. I'm an organizational psychologist, the CEO of Inventium, and I'm obsessed with finding ways to optimize my workday. Now, today's guest is Nellie Bowles, who is a writer for the New York Times, where she covers technology and internet culture. Before joining the Times, she was a correspondent for Vice News Tonight, and she's also written for Recode, The Guardian, and started her writing career at the San Francisco Chronicle. Now, I met Nellie because she had reached out to interview me for a story that she was writing about Atlassian. And I then thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to talk to someone that writes for the New York Times, which I feel like is pretty much the most prestigious job if you're a journalist. And ask her about a whole bunch of things. So we cover a lot of ground in this interview. We talk about her process for writing stories, why she doesn't like reading about people before she interviews them. And also, and this is fascinating, why she doesn't write her stories at a traditional desk. Now, there were ironically some sound issues, which I think is ironic given um, Nelly is a tech reporter, um, but there were sound interviews uh, issues during this interview. So we actually recorded it on the phone so it's not up to the usual standard, perhaps, of other episodes you might have listened to on how I work. Um, but I encourage you to stick with it because I think Nellie's fascinating and there's a whole bunch of really practical insights, I think, that you can take away from this interview if doing some writing and thinking of ideas and just general work um, is, uh, is part of what you do. So on that note, over to Nellie to hear about how she works. Nellie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Now, I want to start with understanding how how do you get a job writing for the New York Times? I feel like that's the pinnacle um, for, uh, for for a journalist. So, how did that come about? Um, it it does still feel funny walking in every day and seeing the New York Times logo on the door. It is still really exciting. Um, <laughs> I, it started, I, I'm a local kid. I grew up in San Francisco. I wrote for, or I started as an unpaid intern at the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, they, I, I had graduated college without doing much journalism and, um, the Chronicle internship was impossible to get. Um, and I, I couldn't get the paid one because I didn't have any experience and I couldn't get the unpaid one because I wasn't, um, a current student by California law, you have to be a current student. So I signed up for classes at City College and emailed them my registration and said, now I'm a current student. And so I started working there as an unpaid intern for a few months and I lived at home. And then they hired me as a staff writer and then I just worked my way up at the Chronicle. And then, and then kind of bounced around after that, wrote for magazines and whatever. 
And about two years ago now, I started at the time. Wow. And and how did that opportunity come about? Like, I like you know, is is it a job out online? Is it someone you know? Um, how did how did that happen? It was me pitching the international tech coverage sauce. Uh, runs the whole um, New York Times tech coverage. Cleveland Tam, who's amazing. It was basically me pitching her um, for about like two years. Um, and pitching the person before her for about a year, the woman who ran it before, um, and just saying that you guys should have a role of a person who covers tech and culture. And whether it's me or not, like you should have someone who's covering the culture of Silicon Valley, who's covering the people and the texture and just what it's like here. And um, because my argument basically was and still is that Silicon Valley is not a business story. It's not a money story. It's a culture story. It's a power story. And um, so I just kept pitching them in. And then eventually I got an email completely saying, let's talk. And then we talked and she said, listen, you know that job you keep pitching me about? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, it looks like where you might have that position. And then and then that's how it happened. Wow, that's so cool. So you basically created your own job at the New York Times. That's um, that's years and years of begging. (laughs) I love it and persistence. And I want to like I want to talk about writing, and I want to know like how did you learn to write? And 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 by that I mean like what were sort of the pivotal moments in in your education that turned you into a better writer? I remember like in like third grade or something, we were learning how to write poems and I wrote a poem that my teacher really liked and it was like so exciting to realize that there was a thing that I was good at. And, you know, kids just like mm-hmm. gravitate towards what they feel like they're being told they're good at. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how I learned to write. How do you like, you just practice and you read a lot and you try to copy people. Like, <laughs> I, I like read a lot of John Gideon over and over and over again and tried my best to to copy that sound, or I read a lot of um, Ellen Berry's columns, an amazing foreign correspondent for the Times, over and over again, trying my best to mirror that tone or whatever. Um, I kind of would pick people and try to um, write in conversation with them a little bit. And it's like the the only thing that suits my temperament, too, because, like, I don't have a very good attention span. I really have trouble with authority figures, um, which was hard in school. I, yeah, and I like to write. So really, not a good attention span, trouble with authority figures, and likes to write. Journalism is like <laughs> the only career path that's open to you. <laughs> like that's uh, what you've got. I, I, I want to know, like when you're trying to emulate a, a writer, which I feel in and of itself, like for you that might seem completely normal, but I feel like um, for listeners out there that are not writers, I think that's a really interesting concept. Like what are the sorts of things that you're looking for when like, when you've tried to emulate other people's styles? Like what, what are those key things that you're trying to, I guess, um, you know, kind of copy in your way? It, for me, um, I will read something I really like, like let's say Gideon. I will often um, read it aloud to myself, like uh, read a paragraph out loud just to get her voice and her rhythm. And then when I'm writing my own stories, I usually, as I'm writing, talk out loud to myself or I read it out loud to myself. Um, and if I don't do that, it's usually a worse story. It usually means I'm like not paying that much attention to the writing. But if I'm trying to like write something really pretty, I want it to be 
um, yeah, I, I, I speak it out loud. And so if I'm trying to emulate a writer, I kind of like try to get their rhythm, their voice. Um, it's, I'm probably sounding crazy. Not at all. I'm no. Like, I'm like, I, I sound like I'm like a nightmare coworker and I am a noisy coworker. <laughs> I, am, I am talking out loud a lot. But and I don't do this like every day. It's not like I'm like sitting there like reading a writer and then writing a sentence. Like I'll try to absorb as much as I can. Like right now I just read, um, I just finished Marjorie Williams' book. And she's a writer who I, she was a writer for the Washington Post who wrote some of the most beautiful profiles of people in D.C. for um, much of the 90s. And I read her book. I, you know, certain paragraphs would really pull out for me. And so I would just say them out loud and then try to incorporate some of that into my story. So she had this one sentence. I'm going to give it a little bit wrong, but it's like, um, he had a smile like a wad of cash. And <laughs> I just loved that sentence and I loved the like insanity of it. And so I've tried to sort of incorporate more sentences like that. Yeah, I think that's great. It's interesting the idea of reading out loud. Um, I, uh, I recently interviewed Stan Pink for the show and he said the exact same thing. He like will literally read or ask his wife to read his entire book out loud. Um, yeah. as, as part it's of the really good to do. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of really smart people who can articulate arguments really beautifully and you, you see them right and they get all tangled up in themselves. And so, and I find myself, I get all tangled up sometimes in my writing. And if you just take it away and just like speak the story, like say what you want, it, it everything becomes pretty clear. I think that's like a basic writing thing. I'm not, Mm. discovering that but um it really does help yeah yeah and i want to know where where do your ideas for stories come from (laughs) um all over but when i started for the first like i'd say seven years of writing about san francisco i mean i would go to like parties and i would go to events and conferences and just whatever like perked my ear up and then if I was just looking for something quick to do that week or whatever that night, um, I would go to meetup.com or eventbrite.com and just see what was happening. And then whatever looked interesting or weird or surprising or something or a trend that, you know, all these, a bunch of events about this one thing, um, I would just go. I usually just kind of follow what's interesting to me because if I'm bored by something, then certainly readers can be bored by something. <laughs> do you do you have a, a way or a method of, of capturing different ideas? Like you know, you go old school with a notepad or use an app. Like what what does that look like in terms of capturing your ideas or filing your ideas? I have a, just a big notes doc on my phone, just using an Apple Notes. Um, it's very disorganized, and then like. I'll write down any thought that comes to my mind in that. And then every couple of weeks, I put that into a more cohesive Google Doc. That's sort of like thoughts, future story ideas. Um, and I'm actually now transitioning. I think I'm going to start using Trello. I'm, have you heard of Trello? I certainly have. Yeah. 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 I've, I've had a couple well, of course you have. Of course you've heard of Trello. You're like a productivity person. You're like, obviously, <laughs> I live in Trello. <laughs> but I've... I have like been reticent to use it, but I think actually that might be a really good system because right now my Google Docs are getting a little out of control. It's too many story ideas. It's like they're all over the place. I think I think I'm gonna start traveling. And then yeah. and then um 
But then when I'm actually like recording and taking notes, then I use a physical notebook always. I, I want to delve into that because a lot of your um, your job involves interviewing people for stories. And yeah. I'd love to know, how, how do you prepare for an interview? Probably the best interviews I do are when I know a bit about someone and know more or less the story I'm working on. Um, but I just go in really open-minded and really sort of blank, as blank as possible, which sounds weird, but um, the key for interviewing is to ask really dumb questions and to be, to not try to like outsmart yourself. Like the best answers are questions like, what do you make of this? You know, so like, let's say I just had a confrontational interview yesterday and, mm-hmm. um, or the day before. And the way I like asked questions about these controversial things that this person doesn't want to talk about I basically said, like, here's this thing that people are saying about your program. What do you make of that? Just keep it broad. And because if you try to get too smart or know too much about a thing or, like, then you're not going to get good quotes. The dumber the question, the dumber the question, the better. Always, always, always. Yeah. What What are some examples of, like, I guess so-called dumb questions that, like, you might lead with, for example, in an interview? Like, what do you want to talk about? Or, like, <laughs> um, a lot of what do you make of this? Like, what do you make of it? Why? What's going on is often one of the Like, what's going on? Um, a lot of why. Like, if, if I'm following someone around, like, I'll, I'll ask them to, oh, I'll, what I'll do is I'll say, what are you doing right now? And, and then you say, like, listen, and I can see what you're doing. You can see what you're doing. But, like, I'm trying to paint this for the reader. So, like, you just start talking, talk, narrate me through what you're, you know, and, and then people will do that. I think journalists a lot, myself included, like, get too excited about our role and and it's really important to get out of your own way. <laughs> but, not uh, to like be too clever. How much time would you spend preparing for an interview? Like, for example, I know um, you wrote that great piece about Guy Raz, who um, I imagine listeners of this podcast might know for um, hosting How I Built This. Like, how, like what, what's the work that goes into... Um, like everything that happens before you actually meet the person that you're interviewing. I find that if I read too much about a person or I I just go in with too many biases then, like I want to go in as open and as just listening as possible. And so I like, obviously I listened to his podcast and I uh, knew the basics of his outline, but I tried not to read a ton of interviews he'd done before I didn't want like the angles that people had taken on him before to be my angle just because that was what was out there and that was what would get in my head. Um, so like I, I profiled Jordan Peterson, right? And I wanted to just approach him fresh um, mm-hmm. without all the noise and the, the stuff of, of other people and then afterwards you go and you read everything about the person and, you, and then you know, if you need to you do a follow-up interview whatever addressing this or that thing that you find in an interview for five years ago that they did but for an initial interview I honestly think like the dumber you go in the better <laughs> I really like that I feel it like that's so counterintuitive <laughs> it, I'm telling you the times when I overthink it are the times when I get it wrong Times that I like just get too caught up in myself and don't don't listen to the person. Yeah, yeah. And that's also <laughs> how you write something surprising. 
is by not coming in with the same expectation everyone else did. You don't want like other perspectives on that person in your head too much. Mm. But again, everyone does it differently. Like, so this is, this just works for me and is like, for features writing, when you have the opportunity to interview someone multiple times and all that, like, it's a little bit um, indulgent to sort of <laughs> And so once you've got all all that content, like let's just say it is a, a feature on someone um, or, or or covering sort of like a, a topic in depth, what's your process for creating a first draft of, of your article? I mean, I wish there was some like amazing process that I always do. I usually, um, <laughs> if it's like a newbie story, then I take all my notes, I put them in one document, well, I copy-paste that document so that I have one that's just all my notes forever and I just close that one. And then I have the other one that I'm going to like play with. And I just start um, deleting stuff that doesn't need to be in the story. And then usually I end up with like a stack of quotes and details. And then from there, I literally just write through. I just start at the top and just kind of like leave, kind of like make one quote and one, one detail flow to the next one. Um, and that's, like, I sort of, like, scrape it clean, and then the pieces I have left, I kind of, like, bind them together. And how um, do you clean it? Like, how how do you know what's worthy of the story and what's not? I mean, it's, like, what's a good quote or what's, like, if I'm, like, Guy Raz, I thought it mattered that he had the colorful glasses, like, and so that's, like, a detail that stays in. But it, other things don't matter. That one was a profile of a podcaster. So mm. his voice matters a lot. Um, but then if I do, that's where I do stories. So that's like a movie story how I'll do it. But the best way to do a story is um, what I'm trying to do is there, which is like you do the recording, you have all your notes, and then you like look at a blank sheet and you try to just think the story. Like try to just like how should this be told and start writing it and then pull in quotes and things that you need. But like write it kind of like from your emotional center. <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, but it's true. So every once in a while I can do that, but not often. Yeah, cool. What What do you find is the hardest part of, of writing a story? One hard part is um, attention span. You really have to be super flow state focused, like very, very focused to do it well. Um, and I find the older I get and the more I'm living in technology, the more cluttered my head is, the more noisy it is, the harder it is for me to stay in a flow. And because, like, if you're writing, like, how I said, like, the, 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 the better way, where you kind of write it in your head as you're just going down blank documents, um, that really requires you to hold a lot of voices in your head at the same time and to be just listening to the story. And so if while you're doing that, you're also, like, getting texts and, like, a G-check comes through and there's a Slack message, like, like you're screwed, like, you can't do it. Mm. And it's just really hard to get in that place for all of us. So what's your process? Like you mentioned right at the start that you've got a short attention span. And I mean, you're a tech reporter. Like, you know, you have to be connected to all these panels and know what's happening with the, the latest apps and social media and so forth. Like how, like, do you kind of have strategies that, that you deliberately use to tune out all those digital distractions and, and stay focused? I'm like constantly trying to figure out better strategies for it. Um, I, I think we all fool ourselves a little bit into thinking that we just need to be plugged into these things for work or for 
you know, what if someone's hurt and they need me, I need to have my phone on. Um, people did just fine for a long time without smartphones. And like, I think, um, even for my work, I'm a tech reporter. Yeah. But like, do I really need to be that aware of all of the latest news? No, I don't. So like, I really don't need to be plugged into Twitter as much as I am or plugged into, um, you know, reading tech meme or whatever as much as I do. It, and so at a certain point, you have to like be honest with yourself about what you actually need. Um, so what are the ways that I'm doing it? I, I, I have one of those like screen time things on my phone that tells me when I've been using social media for more than an hour. Um, I, I've been really trying to do, this is so nerdy, but I've been really trying to do like a digital Shabbat. So every Saturday I'm totally unplugging. Wow. With like some success. I've so far done it. I've so far done it like successfully like three times and then like 90% of the way, like, like, like seven times. (laughs) And, um, it's been amazing, right? If you do it and like really turn your phone off and like make your plans the day before and like meet your friends at the appointed time, um, it's incredible. So stuff like that. I, I'm just trying to like reclaim my humanity a little bit in the sort of device soup that we were. Yeah, that's great. I haven't figured it out at all. I don't think yeah. anyone really has. Maybe some people have, but not me. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's tough. I think so many people struggle with it. Um, like, what, what what's happening on your computer when you're you're actually writing a story? Like, are you switching off notifications? Are you using apps that block sites? Oh, what does that look I like? I switched off all notifications. Like, all my no- I don't have any notifications anymore, other than text messages on my phone. And so, I'll put my phone in airplane mode for sure. I turned my computer and my phone black and white, so they're like a little less stimulating, a little calming. Um, mm. I and then you know, wait, you know, like the really weird thing I do at work, though, right? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> I have a treadmill desk. You have a treadmill desk. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you have happened upon the weirdest New York Times tech reporter. Um, yeah. I tread all day. Oh my god! I, how how fast are you walking? Like what speed? Um, when I'm like on the phone, like I'll be walking like one and a half to two miles an hour. Um, usually like two miles an hour. And then when I'm like riding, I'll go slower, so I'll do like a mile an hour. I don't know what that is in kilometers. Um, but it's slow, slow. But yeah, at, the, at the end of the day, I've walked like ten miles. Wow. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I eat all the time. I'm eating constantly. I'm hungry. Like at dinner, I get like I get like two entrees now. It's the best part. <laughs> that is fantastic. Oh my god! I love that. And How, so that, that helps like, a lot. That helps with my like antsy personality too. I'll tell you. Yeah. I think everyone should be treading. What What made you start? And how long have you been um treading at work? Well, I have been, okay, so I started standing right after college because I really struggled with my first job. Before I started at the Chronicle, I worked in a lab, like, as a study coordinator. Um, and I really struggled with sitting all day. I, I didn't know I would. It was confusing. I didn't know what was going on, but, like, my body hurt. I was, like, having trouble paying attention. The job didn't work out, not surprisingly. And when I started the Chronicle, I was sort of like, 
I feel like change how I do work. And so I backed up my computer on a bunch of books and just like did a standing, like a really janky standing desk. And then I've used the standing desk for, you know, whatever, the next eight years. And then um, about a year ago, I, I'd i always heard about treadmill desks and really wanted one. And I really liked walking. I would walk a ton to calm myself down or like to just, I really liked walking. And um, I went for it. I don't know. I didn't worry about doing it because I thought it was so weird. And I didn't want to be like the weirdest person in the office. But then I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to be the weirdest person in the office. And I asked my editor, if we win, if I could get a treadmill done. Like, you know, that I would pay for and I would bring and, and, you know, if it was disrupting everyone, she could say it and I would take it out immediately and all this. And she <laughs> said, yes. <laughs> That's so cool. So on a Saturday night, I brought a treadmill into the New York Times. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's also made for walking, so it's quieter. Yeah. So what what brand and and model is it for those that are listening that um, that are inspired to replicate your strategy? It's I I, I think I'm gonna get it right. It's a TR twelve hundred. It's 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 made by the company Lifespan, and yeah. I love it. Like I cannot. I was nervous when I got it because I was like, okay, I'm getting this big piece of equipment. I'm bringing it into the office. People are all going to make fun of me. And I'm like making like a big personal statement at this newspaper with this like eccentricity. My, my fear was, what if I don't like it? Like, what if I use it for a month? And I'm like, oh my God. And then I've like done this whole thing. So thank God. Wow. <laughs> I actually love it. Look, look. And now like, if I need to work, I'll come into the office. Like if I have to work on a Sunday, I'll come into the office downtown. Because I'd rather, I don't really want to, like, the idea of sitting and working is, like, such a, I don't know, I've gotten spoiled. I've gotten really bratty. Yeah. Oh, wow. you got to try it. You're going to love it. you got to start treading. It's you Oh, I'm I'm Googling this machine as soon as this interview is over. I'm very excited <laughs> about that. <laughs> Anyone who asks me about it, I, like, you know, I'll talk your ear off. But, but I, I think it, um you know, humans aren't meant to sit hunched over a glowing computer screen all day. It's like the weirdest thing for our bodies to do for mm. 10 hours a day. And then and then I go home and I'm not that active. I'm not like an athlete. So I go home and I hang out with a friend sitting and having a drink or yeah. whatever. And then I watch a movie sitting and relaxing or whatever. So this way, it like, it like, I don't know, it just feels good. I mean, they say that sitting is the new smoking, don't they? Isn't that the thing? So. <laughs> Right, you're a non-sitter. Uh, I want to know because like, to be clear, this is literally my only physical activity. <laughs> but it's a hell of a lot of physical activity. That's that's very impressive. <laughs> uh, I, I had a couple more questions. And what are, like what are your go-to sources of information for keeping track on what's happening in the world of tech? Um, like, do you do you have websites that you go to? People that you go to? What what is what, what are your kind of go-to sources of information for straight up tech news there's nothing better than tech news like in terms of pulling together everything that's out there that day if you want to know um and then for 
I look at Hacker News sometimes to sort of know what the software engineers are up to and reading and thinking about. And then I look at, um, I don't know, I just read the paper. Tech Meme and Hacker News will keep you busy. I, I check those every morning. And I, I, I think TechCrunch does an amazing job of what it does, which is like owning a startup space that a lot of people have moved on from as everyone now is just covering big tech. And mm. um, so it, that's become really essential reading. Yeah. Um, so those are my three. Those are pretty standard. It's nothing. And then, oh, I also love that um, Kretachery. Kretachery. Yeah, great. <laughs> That's um, that's cool. And 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 are you like, are you getting inspiration from um, like podcasts or e newsletters or, or or anything like that? Can I tell you something? <laughs> I um, have never, unless it was for work, like for Guy Raz or for like, like understanding what the daily is. I've never listened to a podcast. Like wow. I've never. I know, I don't, unless it's like a work-specific thing, in my free time, I don't podcast. I don't know yeah. why. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are you going <laughs> off right now? Yeah, that's right. End, end of chat. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that's really interesting. <laughs> Podcasts are so intimate. Like, it's letting someone into your ears. Like, when I, like, read a news article... There's a certain distance between me and the writing, but like a podcast is like so intense. <laughs> That's, it's true. It is it's very intimate, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And look, on that note, my final question for you, Nelly, is <laughs> if people want to consume more of what, what you're doing and, and putting out there, how can people find you? I don't know. I guess just on NewYorkTimes.com. I have a Twitter. I don't tweet very much, but I have a Twitter. And... Um, so all my stories just go into the tech page of the Times, and um, if if they're good, they make it onto the homepage, and, <laughs> and you can usually find them there. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I, I will link to that. I'll link to your Twitter as well in the show notes. <laughs> That's great. Well, Nelly, I'm so <laughs> loved hearing to you and, and hearing about your process, and particularly hearing about the treadmill desk. That's a cracker. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you so much. This is really fun. (laughs) It's a pleasure to come on. And thank you so much for having me, Brad. Hello there. That is it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Nelly. And uh, if you're maybe like me, you're probably about to go and Google uh, that treadmill desk that she talked about, which I just think sounds awesome. Um, Anyway, if you liked today's episode, please share it with other people on social media or maybe just a couple of friends or workmates that you think could benefit from it. And if you're enjoying how I work, I would love it if you could give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It actually helps more people find the show when there are more reviews, uh, funnily enough. So that is it for today and I will see you next time.